Remington Aidney Campbell, and this is the History of Musical Theatre podcast. Pre-production on Oklahoma looked different for different members of the team. Rogers and Hammerstein developed a rhythm together, and quite a sophisticated one for a new partnership. As Hammerstein wrote, Dick and I stayed very close together while drawing up the blueprints for a show. Before we start to put words or notes on paper, we have agreed on a very definite and complete outline. And we have decided how much of a story should be told in dialogue and how much in song. We try to use music as much as possible. Once the outline was completed, the show would be written in their respective country homes. Rogers in Fairfield, Connecticut, and Hammerstein in Daleston, Pennsylvania. With twice-weekly meetings in New York. For Rogers, writing was fairly easy. At least, it appeared that way from the perspective of Hammerstein who slaved over the lyrics of this show in a way he never had before. For Agnes, pre-production was a series of blank notebooks, each with the title or concept of a song. They were brought with her on tour with the Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. For the first part of the tour, she continued to dance the leading role in her ballet Rodeo, until a brief stop-off to meet her officer fiancé, and then a final show in LA. Her family attended... Her dad attended. She had lots of interest from Hollywood people, but she was ready to go back to New York. One may imagine that a show is financed, and then later it assembles its cast and begins rehearsals. That does happen sometimes. It's not unheard of, especially with well-funded and well-established production companies. I don't imagine Andrew Lloyd Webber's the really useful group struggling to find money for productions nowadays. Make no mistake, the Guild Theatre, as well as its lead producers Teresa Halburn and Lawrence Langner, were well established, but near the point of financial ruin. The Guild had less to its name than the show would cost. This spectre would hang over the entirety of the production. Producer auditions began before cast auditions and before rehearsals started. Producer auditions are when portions of the show are presented to producers to convince them to fund the show. To convince them they'll make their money back. Agnes DeMille reported that Oscar Hammerstein played Aunt Alma in these auditions. And in Miss DeMille's opinion, the role has never been done better. An even more impressive feat when you consider that Teresa Helburn called Betty Gard, who played the role in the actual production, a tower of strength. It is a great sadness that the world never got a full Oscar Hammerstein as Aunt Elmer production of Oklahoma. Some producers were unconvinced. Agnes suggested they cut the song People Will Say We're In Love to make the show a little tighter. She would eat her words on that one. If you haven't listened to that song before, I recommend it. It's very beautiful. It has played at some point during the musical interludes, and I love it. It was also around this time that the show underwent its first title change. Up until this point, it bore the name of its source material, Green Grow the Lilacs. But there was a film adaptation in the works, and that meant they couldn't use the name. So they agreed on Away We Go, with an exclamation mark. Before the show was fully funded, the casting began. As casting began... The issues of chorus girls arose. If you watch a contemporary musical, you will be stunned by the caliber of dancers. 
I guess unless you watch Dear Evan Hansen, in which case you won't see much dancing. But as a whole, Broadway dancers today are technically brilliant, stylistically aware, and more often than not, double or triple threats. But that actually wasn't the case before Oklahoma. Pretty girls with slim legs were the norm. But Agnes had come up in a whole new generation of dancers and choreographers, one better trained than generations before them. The technical standards in dance have been going up and up and up, and if you watch the groundbreaking dances of that generation, you might notice that, technically, they don't compare to contemporary dancers. Oklahoma and this new generation of dancers and choreographers that Agnes was part of was a big reason for that change happening. And this group of new, more technically trained dancers was where Agnes wanted to pull her chorus from. Initially, she said she would need to approve each and every chorus member. Oscar expressed a little doubt that she'd get what she wanted. He, Richard, and producer Lawrence Langner each had go-to girls. Besides, Reuben and Terry wanted pretty girls with slim legs. You know, like all the shows have. There was particular conflict over Joan McCracken, Bambi Lynn, and Diana Adams. Agnes had seen them all dance and believed in their abilities both as dancers and as actors. Mamou disagreed. According to DeMille, his words were, They're useless to me. He's not winning any tact awards for those comments. All three of them did end up in the cast. I'm going to talk more about Bambi Lynn next episode. But the compromise included two traditional chorus girls who seemed somewhat out of their depth. It was on Monday, February 8th, that rehearsals began. Conflict between Agnes and Reuben continued throughout the production. The director of a play or film, where Mamoulian had primarily worked, and the choreographer of a ballet, where DeMille had primarily worked, are the dictators of their respective kingdoms. But they were working on a musical. Together. Reuben took the Guild Theatre to run his rehearsals, and Agnes worked in the lower rooms. Oscar Hammerstein spent the bulk of his time in the book rehearsals with Ruben Mamillion. Agnes would run three rehearsals concurrently with the help of Ray Harrison and Mark Platt. Two notes. One, not Mark Platt the producer, Mark Platt the dancer, the one who is dead. Number two, he's also going to be important next episode. For the first three days of rehearsals, Rogers watched Agnes working, which was stressful for her, to say the least. After that, he seemed to approve of her. At least, she felt she wasn't going to be fired. She created dances more easily than she ever had before in her career, and was receiving some tempting offers for next projects. During all of this, the producer auditions continued, which made everyone feel very relaxed. I'm sorry, did I say relaxed? What I meant was the constant producer auditions made everyone extremely stressed. Agnes herself once got so upset with the interruption of her rehearsals that Mark Platt had to take her out of the room and run her head under cold water. She developed a terrible cough, which would later turn out to be the early stages of German measles. More on that once we get to Boston. 
The condition of the show was also a cause of stress for the production team. Issues were found with everything. The book, the score, the dances, the sets, the costumes. Eventually, one night, the production team sat on the stage. They were about to head to New Haven for their first out-of-town run. Something commonly done to test a new show and make some changes before it gets reviewed in New York. Tension was high, and Richard said to everyone, Do you know what I think is wrong? Almost nothing. Now why don't you all quiet down? The show opened in New Haven, to mixed reviews. The opening night was largely New Yorkers who travelled up to see the show, and many left it intermission to get home to write their reviews. Journalistic integrity. Kurt Weil came to see the show and did not like it. Agnes herself said, It's not very good, but I think it might be a hit. They then travelled to Boston for another run of shows. The train trip between the two cities was a productive one. Scenes were rewritten, new dances created, and a whole lot of other reworking. Things didn't come down, though, once they arrived in Boston. The German measles had incubated, and it infected 10 or 11 people. This led to Agnes DeMille having to step in a number of times, in a number of different ensemble roles, in order to keep the show running. Boston was also the site of the newest name change, from Away We Go to Oklahoma. Note the inflection. Oklahoma. The iconic exclamation mark has not yet appeared. One crucial, really integral change happened to the show in Boston. From the beginning, there had been a number of specialty acts sprinkled throughout the show. Tap dancers, some acrobatics, a rope spinner, pigeons. That last one suggests that someone had been spending a little bit too much time watching the Ziegfeld Follies. They're really lucky that the only time that elephants feature in the show is in the line, the corn is as high as an elephant's eye, and that there isn't an actual elephant on stage to compare it to. I feel like that's how Florence would have directed that scene. But one by one, all of these speciality numbers were cut. Because they weren't in service of the story. And because the pigeons didn't behave. Odd bits and pieces were very common in musical comedies. But this wasn't a musical comedy. In Boston, it became a new, integrated musical. It was also a review of this Boston production, which contained the famous line, No legs, no jokes, no chance. Spoiler alert, they were wrong. Aside from Wrongy McWrongpants, the reviews were largely positive, with one saying it was offering a package of nostalgia neatly wrapped in a talented cast and tied up with a blue ribbon score, and that it should stretch into a sizable stay on Broadway. Both halves of that quote are lovingly stolen from the book Oklahoma, The Making of an American Musical by Tim Carter. That book has a ton of information if you want to know more than anyone possibly could think there would be to know about this show. 
heads up, it's an academic book, so a little challenging. The show had garnered good reviews, made good money, and its title had picked up an exclamation mark. But Hammerstein still had fears, saying to his wife, I don't know what to do if they don't like this. I don't know what to do because this is the only kind of show I can write. On the 31st of March, 1943, on a cold, snowy Wednesday, Oklahoma opened on Broadway. Alongside it was a revival of Lady in the Dark, the customary Ziegfeld Follies production, Rogers owned by Jupiter, some Cole Porter, some Noel Coward, and others. The show didn't sell out. Not on its opening. And Mark Platt, who was one of the production's leading dancers, did the show on an injured ankle. But the audience responded really positively. And so did the critics. They received entirely positive reviews. Lorenz Hart was also in the opening night audience. It's almost a final goodbye. The only thing the critics disagreed on was what was the best part of the show. It was a huge success and would run for many, many years. Next week, we will be talking about the cast, looking at what they did before and after the show. Mark Platt and Bambi Lynn both make an appearance. I say appearance like the two of them don't make up about half the episode. A third. I'm talking about six people. Anyway, until then, I hope you have, oh, such a wonderful day. Thank you.